In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast, where we focus on real men doing real life in real time while living in the stress bubble of life. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying, The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood the man card belongs to those protecting integrity fighting apathy pursuing god passionately leading courageously and finishing strong a man is as a man does enjoy today's episode men in the arena we salute you hey guys we are honoring you today for getting it done Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, a.k.a. MCP. Hey, guys, we're pumped, guys. We want to call you into the arena. We want to call you out of everything hindering you from being the best version of yourself, and we want to call you up to a higher level of manhood. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with our producer and mi hombre, hombre. Dale Culver. Now, notice I didn't say hombre. Because there's an H in there, dude. Because, yeah, I know. It's hombre. 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 It's right. not, but I didn't want to say hombre because the last thing you and I need to talk about is being hungry. Mm. So I haven't had breakfast yet. So. One, one, hombre is kind of like Spanish for homie. That elk behind your head looks really good. Yeah, well, I've got 400 pounds of elk meat in my fridge. Don't touch it. I know I it. need to come by and get it. I told Kamboya. you you could have some free I know. Free I just got to come over to your house. We don't hang out much, so. No, because I don't like you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty easy. <laughs> I mean, you know. Use like, me for my nerdism. <laughs> seriously. Uh, yeah, me for your technical skills. So, hey, this month we're doing something that uh, may be a little controversial, but I really don't care. Uh, we're doing something called No Neil November. It's also No Shave November, so I'm not shaving, but No Neil November. Here's what that means. We are going to give a free download of the field guide, our bathroom book for men, to every veteran who contacts us through our website or our app and just says, hey, I'm a vet, I serve with this group, and we're going to get that to you. If you don't want the download, you can get the book at my cost. $10, and I will mail you the field guide wherever you live. We'll do that thing. So we want to honor our vets who have served our country this month. November 11th, I think, is Veterans Day. And so we (laughs) honor you vets on No Kneel November. All right? So, hey, buddy, uh, got a man word for me? I do. You already said the word, too. That's why I was like, whoa, you said it. Are you serious? What is the word? You say so much stuff that you don't realize what you said. 
Um, uh, but I don't even know what that means. But no, oh, it's, I, it's, thank you for that compliment. Yes, yeah, because you're a good talker. Oh, mm-hmm. um, and then someday I want to be good. Well, talker you, too. we were just talking about the thing I said this weekend at the banquet. So I'm right. not a great talker. I told, <laughs> gave a gift to our auctioneer. It's a one night stay for him and his wife, and I told him he just. Uh, one of we just bought him one night stand, so that was a, a bummer. That yeah, I said that. Didn't it do happens. It on purpose. It happens. Yeah. No, the my word is confidence. I don't think I used that word in a sentence. You you said, yeah. No, I didn't. Did, I heard. Did I, Vince? Did you hear confidence come out of him? I did. Oh, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, yeah. then I if I believe Vince, so. Yeah, you should. <laughs> He's got a beautiful wife. There, therefore, that means he is a godly man. So, yeah. No, anyway. it just means or, hap- when or look, just happy. It man. just yeah. means that when you look like him, you better have confidence to get a woman like that, because because it didn't happen with his looks. So anyway, although he's a bald yeah, man, right. bald man. I mean, bald man. We we I don't know, something about the bald guys. Anyway, right. I don't know. So, so yeah, confidence. confidence. Uh, so you know that. what? You can't go through life like thinking that um, worried about not being able to do certain things. Oh, I better not try that because uh, I'll fail. Um, what am I going to do if this happens? You got to kind of confidently go forward and do things knowing that, um, if doors are opening up, it's going to be a good thing. Well, you know what i also think about confidence is there's a humility in confidence because if you have right. confidence, you're going to step into places you've never stepped before. In fact, we're going to be talking about Vince Miller's book, Convictions. And in that book, he talks about the downfalls, the pitfalls of pride right. and how pride brings nothing to the table. But confidence, now it could look like pride on the surface, but a confident man will do and say things that a prideful man will not because that prideful man has a fear of failure, fear of rejection. There's a whole lot of stuff holding him back, but the confident man is willing to jump into the fray and get in the arena. So right. I, I love that word. When you came on to that the church that we both worked at and they had that interview with you, you walked into the room like, all right, we're going to do some great things. And there was this confidence, humble confidence about you that everybody looked at it that was sitting around that table and went, that's our guy, and we're going to follow him. And so it wasn't like, oh, you guys all suck. Let me show you how to do this. Yeah. But it was a humble mm-hmm. confidence, and it was awesome. Well, so I appreciate it. I think that. you might have just given me a legitimate compliment, Dale. Yeah. You sure you don't <laughs> want to change that? I mean, seriously. Hey, I'm super excited, you guys. Our men in the arena, I'm excited because I've got a brand-new friend of mine, uh, Vince Miller, online today. Vince lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, 46 years old. He's been married for 21 glorious years, has uh, three children, a daughter, two sons, Faith, who's 18, Grant, 16, and Riley, 14. And I just went on to his website. He owns. He's a president and founder of an organization called Resolute. Uh, they lead and disciple men and train those guys up. Anyway, uh, Vince grew up on the coast of California in Vallejo, where he uh, spent his uh, childhood and after college and graduate school he invested two decades of his life working with ministries like Young Life which I'm a product of that ministry InterVarsity Christian uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Eagle Brook Church and, Church and some senior interim roles and he currently lives in St. Paul anyway but in 2014 now I thought this is interesting I'm going to ask him about this he founded an organization called Resolute out of his passion for the discipleship and leadership development of men, and that passion was born out of his own need for mentorship. He searched for mentors, and basically, you were rejected, right, Vince? You could not find I a was. mentor. And uh, those for guys years. at twenty years, and, and I'm going to ask you about that in a, just a second. I want to know what these guys said to you. But from that, he launched this organization. Recently, wrote a book that I finished last week called Convictions, and I love the subtitle. Helping men close the gap between feeling convicted 
and living with conviction. So it's great to have you on, my brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing awesome. It's a beautiful fall day here in Minnesota. So we're watching the leaves fall. We had a snow yesterday a little bit. It's all <laughs> melted now, but man, it's uh, starting to get cold here. Yeah, in Oregon it just rains. So it just it's raining right now and it's going to rain until June. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited, awesome. man. So we're speaking at the same conference in is it Worcester or Portland, Maine? Yeah. Yeah, Worcester. Yeah, we're going to be there together. I'm excited to be with you again. I know we were together. It was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, last February in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, so, great times, man. Really enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. I'm excited. So it's fun to get to know guys and build relationship. And so, hey, speaking of relationship, we're going to get to know you a little better. We're going to throw you right now into the fray. We call it our rapid fire round. Okay. I'm ready to go, man. Oh, Seeing pictures of guns. Okay, sweet. Yeah, yeah. You probably couldn't hear that, but that sounded like an M60. That's the gun Rambo used in First Blood. Oh, perfect. So, Is that what you hunt that big elk behind you with? Too? I shot that with a 270, <laughs> but actually, I shot the one this year with a bow and arrow, but I'm not. Yeah, anyway, so. But that's wow. funny. You know, you're from Minnesota when you call that a big elk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to wait for that one to stop nursing before I shot him. So anyway, uh, anyway, so hey, uh, so what we're what we're gonna do? What we're gonna do, man, uh, is we're gonna ask you a couple this or that questions, and okay, I just want you, you to respond so our people get to know you. And I've told Dale to cut out uh, anytime I I uh, disrespect this particular animal, but because you had this in your book. I'm going to ask you a this or that. So in your book, on page 15, you said, or if you don't like cats, which I don't. So I thought, I love this man because I hate cats. Cannot stand oh, yeah. them. So here's my question, this or that. For a pet, would you have a cat or any other animal in the world? Any other animal in the world. <laughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> why? 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 why, why I, I'm just going to ask this question, man. Uh, why do you not like cats? Oh, geez. Who who likes cats? I mean, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm going to say something that's going to offend about half your audience. That's uh, fine. That's fine. Is, is that OK? All right. All right. I just I cannot stand cats. I mean, who actually likes those animals? I mean, <laughs> people put up YouTube videos and get ridiculous numbers of hits around cats and they're just annoying creatures like yeah. they don't do anything that you want them to do. So no, no, no. I don't, I don't get it. I don't I'm get pretty it. sure the people that like cats are the ones that love that song in the church that sings the lyrics, uh, "Heaven meets earth with a sloppy wet kiss." Pretty sure. Those <laughs> are people. So anyway, hey buddy. Okay, so this might be a little bit more controversial than the first question. Okay. San Francisco or Saint Paul? Oh man, uh, I'm going with San Fran because really? I grew up there. So wow. I'm going with. Yeah. Represent in the hometown. I like that. Okay. Okay. Next question. So you're with your wife. It's at night. Would you, would this or that, spoon with her in bed or cuddle with her on the couch? <laughs> spoon in bed. Of course. Uh, yeah. I mean, come on. Absolutely. More points of contact. So, okay. I'd, hurt, I'd hurt myself on the, ca- on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, spooning is cuddling. It's just a little, it's a, just, just a different form. Okay. So okay. here's one for you. Get a little serious, man. Get a little bit more serious. This or that, conviction or condemnation? Uh, conviction. Totally, yeah. We Conviction is something that we 
induce on ourselves. Condemnation is something we do to other people. Oh, so. that's good. Say that again, man. That's really good. Uh, conviction is something that we do to ourselves. Um, condemnation is something we do to other people. So we need more men that live with conviction, right? Gosh, that is good. so good. So does that man who lives with conviction, does he put condemnation on others, generally speaking, or does he speak and inspire people to live with conviction? Yeah, I think the latter. I think, you know, it's, you know, we, of course, we want to live hard against sin, right? And we mm-hmm. want to condemn sin, never people. And conviction is very people-centric, very person-centric. And so we need more guys that live that way, that live with conviction uh, and in condemnation to their own sin. We need to con- condemn sin in our life, right? So love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. <laughs> right is that what you're saying yeah once yeah, i start exactly. turn once i start turning on the sinner i begin to enter the land of condemnation is that true yeah i think so i think so i you know that that is a very very common phrase that we throw out there that i think captures really the the heart of what it means to mortify and go hard after sin in our own life and we need to do it in our life and and we do that with conviction Right. Go so when you say go hard after sin, can you embellish? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we we do so many things in life that we go hard after. I mean, we go hard after retirement, after money, after killing small baby elk. Um, <laughs> you know, we go we go hard after everything. But I mean, the one thing that God really wants us to go hard after is hard after sin, and He wants us to battle it and fight it and live against it and. Uh, give all of our effort to it, not in an effort to earn our obedience, but in an effort to, to, to show our obedience, right? To demonstrate that we love him. And I think we need more men that live like that. So that's, that's my thoughts on that. That's really good. So what you're saying is we go hard against sin because sin is really a means to the end, which is pursuing, radically pursuing and obeying the God who created us. Yeah, man. We, you know, I believe obedience is an input and an output. Like when you you use obedience to help you your heart to change, but your heart when your heart changes, you also live in extreme obedience. And the the more obedient you are, you don't earn your salvation, but the more obedient you are, you demonstrate love and care for your spiritual future in life. And we've got to go hard against sin, man. All of us, you, me, even Dale. <laughs> oh no, he's perfect. <laughs> got to go. We got to go hard after, <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. We got to go hard after sin, and we've got to love God more and hate sin aggressively. So, oh man, that is so good. I'm gonna, that is so good. I want to, so I want to go back uh, to this uh, issue that you dealt with in your younger days of pursuing a mentor, and I'm wondering if it sounds like after 20 years you could not find one man to mentor you. Was it because of sin in their lives, uh, insecurity, uh, w- w- lack of conviction? What was the what was the struggle behind these men? And and just tell us right. kind of the story, your journey through that process. Yeah, so you know, I I, I think guys uh, deep in their heart want to be developed, and and I know that's true because. Uh, there were 12 guys in the Bible that went mentorless, that mm. went without a disciple maker and were desperate for one, but weren't picked for the team. And and everybody at some point has not been picked for the team. But these guys struggled to find a mentor and someone to disciple them. 
And I think it's one of the base core needs that guys have is uh, they need guides in their life to pass on the word to them. And uh, really, uh, I, my life was invested into by a single man. It was my grandfather. I moved in with him when I was a when I was a young dude, and basically my family was falling apart, and I just had a tragic train wreck of a family growing up in California. Mm -hmm. um, my mom and dad were divorced and uh, when I was two, and then my mom got remarried, divorced again. And then finally my grandfather came along, and he met with my, my bio mom one day and said, hey, can I start spending time with Vince? And she said yes. Now, what was strange about that was my mom at the time really didn't believe in God, mm. and my father was an atheist, and so they were very far from God. So it was bizarre that my mom agreed to allow my grandfather to spend time with me, but she could see that I needed a man in my life, and she wasn't going to remarry, and so she knew I needed a positive role model. Well, my grandfather, at the age of about 13 or 14, began to spend time with me, pick me up, at pick me up from school. I'd spend time at his house, and for the first time in my life, I witnessed a guy praying, a guy mm. reading the Bible a guy sharing with me the truth about Jesus Christ that was willing to answer my questions. I got to eat hot meals, for example, oh in the evening. I mean, this is great stuff, right? Wow. And uh, it was totally transformative of my life. And there's a much longer story there. But the, but the essence of it was is that he spent time with me. And because he did, it led to me making a decision for Christ when I was 20. Uh, that decision when I was 20 was pivotal for my life. And of course, that decision for Jesus Christ altered my future. One year later, he died of cancer. One year. Oh. This was a really tragic moment for me uh, because, really, I felt like God was taking away the one man who had really invested in my life. And I remember at his bedside when he was dying, praying a prayer. I said literally this. You'll appreciate it, guys, and I think some of your listeners will appreciate it. But I said to God out loud in a prayer as I watched him die, I said, God— for the rest of my life, I want to do for other men what my grandfather did for me. Oh, gosh. Gosh, darn it. I got an allergic <laughs> and, reaction just now. Right. <laughs> oh, something's yeah. going on in my eyes right now. That's, I think I have an allergic reaction. Yeah. I'm misting up water. here. I know. Wow, it, that's it's powerful, okay. Vince. It's, it's okay to, to weep uncontrollably. I, I You know, I... <laughs> I, I'll, I'll never forget that. Wow. But here was the thing that I said in my very next breath out loud. I said this out loud. I said, but God, I want you to replace my grandfather to me in my life with another man. Mm. And for 20 years, I asked men to mentor me. I, I mean, this is methodical. I, I remember choosing guys, asking them guys further down the road of life than me, yeah. invited them to step into my life for 20 years. And for 20 years, no one ever stepped in. Not once. Now, maybe God was trying to irritate me, <laughs> which I think he was. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, at the same time, during those 20 years, those 20 years, I went mentorless. I always heard two excuses. And you guys probably know what these two excuses are. Yep. I'll let you guess. What do you think they were? I'm not good enough. I have sin in my life. Time. Mm -hmm. Time. Yeah. I don't feel time like is a big I don't one. feel like I'm qualified to do it. Yep, there you go. You got it. There's both of them. I don't have time and I don't know what to do. And I got to tell you though, I, I got so irritated with hearing those answers. I don't have time and I don't know what to do. Everybody's heard those answers. But I felt I felt that as God was irritating me, that he was 
pushing me to try to figure out not how to complain about the issue, but how to resolve it on my own, how to resolve the issue. And he pushed me through irritation into resolve, and that's when Resolute was born. Resolute is designed to give guys a, an experience in mentorship if they want it. And we tried to design a program that was simple enough that any guy could use so that we could take those two excuses off the table. I don't have time and I don't know what to do. So we built a curriculum that allows a guy to mentor another guy anywhere, anytime, in any church, in any environment, business, one-on-one, large groups, small groups, doesn't matter. Guy who knows a lot about the Bible or very little, a little, he can push play on a few videos use a study guide with another guy, and he can mentor him. And, uh, man, I got to tell you, that is my calling in life. My calling in life is to fulfill that prayer that I prayed over 25 years ago at my grandfather's bedside. Wow. I promised the rest of my life I'm going to mentor men like my grandfather mentored So now, me. Vince, these, these, uh, these mentor relationships, are these what you're calling the cohorts? And what are these? Do these cohorts represent a mentor to protege relationship in, let's say, a group of 10? Or how do those look? Yeah, they're really groups of any size. So some guys do them one on one, some guys do them one on 150. Uh, There's churches that use our curriculum uh, with large, massive groups of people. Uh, We provide it in retreat formats, Uh, it's, it's all video led, all video led from our website, streaming or downloadable. And they use them with study guides, actually, that guide the conversation. So we started actually doing it in a small group format just four years ago. So four years ago, you're going to laugh at this. I ventured off into this ministry experience, kind of like you guys did. Yeah. And uh, I just started invite, inviting guys to sit in my groups with me. No joke, the first 60 guys I met with, the first 60 guys, all said yes but one. They said, mm-hmm. yes, we're desperate to be mentored. In fact, they use the words, I'm in, I'm in. I heard those words, I'm in, every single time. And suddenly I discovered that I was not alone, that mm-hmm. there were guys out there just like me that wanted to be mentored, that had never been mentored spiritually and were looking to grow in their faith. It's kind of like, you know, some people want to be developed for business or for life or for family situations. I believe men want to be developed too. They have this deep, aching desire to be developed, but they feel like they've never been chosen for the team, and they're waiting for someone to come along and say, develop me, right? Pour into me. Show me the ways of God, just like you guys are doing, you know? Oh, that, you know, that's awesome. I mean, we're finding the same thing. It's not hard to recruit a team. You know, the most difficult thing is probably asking the guys, but the guys know inherently that they need help. We're, we live in a broken world, man. I'm from a divorce situation. You're from a divorce situation. Dale's from a divorce situation. Pat, are you from a divorce situation? So all four of us here on this podcast are products of divorce in some way. And there's a brokenness that comes from that. And who's teaching these guys? Here's a question for you, Vince. Who were, were these guys that said no to you for 20 years? For 20 years, you were rejected by men. Were these church guys? Absolutely. Everyone was a Christian man. So Christian men, so guys that should be on the upper echelon of our society, uh, in serving and giving and in, in uh, resourcing, said no to you. So, what does that tell us about the state of the church and the state of our country? Yeah, you know, here's here's the one word that we have to use. You have to. I know you guys are focused on this word, but I, I want every man listening to this. This is the greatest sin in the Bible. The issue is apathy. Huh. Apathy. 
go to the garden, Genesis chapter three, what happens there in that context? Well, man is created, right? He's been given a single commandment by God. Then woman is created. Then after that woman is created, man is supposed to hand that commandment off to woman. The serpent shows up in the garden. Woman engages. Now it's not wrong to engage. It's wrong to be disobedient. It's not wrong to engage. She didn't do anything wrong there because that's what women do. They engage. Mm-hmm. They do it naturally. Just look at our church today, right? Women are engaged. Men are not. Men lose in every category of the church, every single one. There's not one we win in. Not one. <laughs> it's crazy. The statistics prove it. Now, here's what kills me. Man is in the garden. He sees the situation unfold, and he does nothing, and he says nothing. Those two things you need to burn in your mind. There is man in the garden, given a commandment, given all power and all authority to name all creatures of the earth, even define earth. He is placed a little bit lower than the angels, and with all this authority, you know what he does? He does nothing. He yep. says nothing, and he does nothing. It sounds an awful lot like, I don't know what to do, and I don't have the time, doesn't it? The oh, same yeah. old excuses yeah. we've been given since the beginning of a time are the same that we give today. I believe that God has called me to be a prophet to apathetic men, to apathy in men, to move them to get off the bench and get into the game of life. And I'm talking about spiritually and I believe this apathy problem is worldwide with men. It's not just unique yeah, to agreed. American men. It's worldwide to men. And what you what you guys and I should be doing is encouraging guys to fight apathy, to fight it by leaning into our fears and our shame and our insecurities. All we got to do is lean in a little bit, just a little bit, and do something we've never done before, which is do something and say something when we see injustice in life. Okay, and so— And take our role as a man. I got it. Do you, do you know—have you researched our organization? Because we have defined manhood as five things. Do you know this? Because oh, yeah. we're blown Absolutely. away. Yep. Pursuing it's protecting integrity. I'm just blown away right now. Protecting yeah. integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. Now I want yep. I'm gonna I want to turn uh, into your book and open the cover, and I want to yep. ask you a question because we just watched the World Series in last night. Houston Astros mm-hmm. made history, uh, represented their their devastated city, you know, from the hurricane. But yep. in your book, you said something that was just mind-boggling to me. I'd never heard it before. You talked about the difference in medical or physical treatment between a minor league pitcher and a major league pitcher. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it has to do with the removal of calluses. Can you walk us through that and how that relates to this apathy battle that we need to fight? You also call it complacency in your book. Yes, that's correct. Can you you walk us through this illustration? It's unbelievable. Yeah, so I, I have a friend who works for uh, the Minnesota Twins, and he's uh, as he works for him, you know, he he each year specifically works with some of the picture pitchers after they've come in to play a game. And one of the things that he does is he brings them back into the training room after they get done pitching a game, and uh, he'll work them over. And basically, he takes their hand, their pitching hand from them, which is their most valuable tool, right? He takes their hand and he grabs onto it and he begins to remove the calluses from his thumb, index finger, and middle finger. And some pitchers that have never had this done to them before, 
it, it's quite a frightening experience, he says, for them. Because what he does is he takes a, a sharp, a super sharp scalpel I need to lay down. and removes the calluses from those three fingers and shaves off layers of skin. And the wow. reason why he does it is to help them take the calluses off so that they can feel the ball better. Because if they can feel the ball better, they can apply the appropriate amount of pressure to the ball to make the ball do what it's supposed to do. And I use it in the book as an illustration of the calluses that need to be removed from our life so that we can feel again, spiritually, right? And that sometimes God's got to do hard work in our life to remove those calluses and those hard spots that don't feel and we have to go through some pain and some nervousness and some fear right we got to push through that so that we can feel again and perform at a better level well, you know what's and i just thought it was a powerful illustration isn't it it's so powerful i've never heard this before and here's <laughs> the thing that you said that really gets me fired up you said that they remove the, remove the calluses. So apathy is callousness. It's this inability to feel, this inability to care for the things that we're called to care for. So these calluses are removed with a scalpel so that that pitcher can now feel the pressure of the ball. Now, now Vince, a, a mutual friend of ours, Brian Doyle, the founder of Iron Sharpens Iron, came yep. on our podcast and he said, quote, men are made for pressure. So men are made for pressure, but if we have a calloused heart, how does how do we handle pressure with a calloused heart? Talk us through that. Mm, I you know I, I think it's really hard. I I think you know like I kind of lay out in the book. I think most men uh, really have a hard time removing those calluses from their life. I think they want to though. It's not it's not a desire problem. It's an action problem. So the premise of the book is that. Is, is that statement that you read just a little while ago. I believe men love to feel convicted. You know, we, we sit in our churches on Sunday morning, if we're church-going people, uh, we sit in our churches on Sunday morning, and we, we get this feeling of conviction every once in a while, right? Like, we need to deal with this sin, this callous in our life. And we walk out of that building going, man, I should really do something about my finances, about my marriage, about my sin, about my issues, about my anxiety, uh, about my business, about my future. We, we feel that, right? We feel that conviction. But the thing that we fail to do is we fail to move that into living with conviction. And so we love to be inoculated with this feeling of conviction, but I think we lack on acting on it, and that's apathy at work. And what we need to do is to bridge that gap. And I want to help men bridge that gap. I want them to feel convicted, but then I want them to act on it and move on it. And to do that, we're going to have to deal with some, you know, tough stuff, some calluses in our life that unfortunately are going to expose us. They're going to be a little bit painful. But when we do, we're going to be able to feel the laces on the ball again, right? Oh, feel the so laces good. on the ball. That's so good. Hey, Vince, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back in a minute. The Man Card Podcast is sponsored by The Great Hunt for God and our mission to transform lives through teams of men. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. So start a team in your city today. Simply go to our website, www.thegreathuntforgod.com, or download The Great Hunt for God app. It's free. 
It's awesome. Under the gear section, you will find all the resources needed to launch a team in your area. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies heavily on the monthly gifts from our financial champions. If this podcast has helped you get out of the bleachers and into the arena, please consider becoming a financial champion today with a minimum $25 a month gift. When you do that, you'll receive the field guide, my bathroom book for men. Just click on the Give button at the Great Hunt for God app or go to the website, again, www.thegreathuntforgod.com. Click on the Give button in the menu drop down. Thank you again for championing the cause of the Great Hunt for God. Okay, hey, Vince. Hey, on uh, page 34 in your book, uh, yep. and I, th- I think this really relates to our topic. You you write about blind spots, or uh, you also call it a dark side, and that it's manifested yep. when we move away from action and turn and face blame. So, can you talk about this uh, this uh, issue of men who who blame others, or uh, they project their sin upon someone else, and how that negatively affects them, and in, in, in being men of conviction? Oh man, do we, we we love to blame? It's just kind of like objectifying other things or uh-huh. women or objects or future, where we are always it's always somebody else's problem, right? It's never our own. Uh, really, when we start to take ownership for our issues, the problems we have, man, uh, life starts to change. I mean, I was just talking to a guy today who was dealing with some pornography issues, and that led him to prison time. Whoa. which led him to losing everything, including his family. And it was interesting to talk to him because I've, I've listened to his voice over the last six years mature. And this is a fame, famous politician. Um, he, he was sharing, I could hear in his heart that he was actually owning his issues. Mm-hmm. Like in his heart, I could hear him own his, owning his issues. And I'm sure that you guys have talked to other guys as well, where suddenly they have a moment where everything chur- turns. It moves from everybody else's fault to their own fault, Right. And it's really hard for us to look in the mirror sometimes, just like maybe it's hard for us to listen to our own podcast sometimes or to watch (laughs) ourselves on film or to look at pictures of ourselves. We just don't like to look at ourselves. And what we've got to do is we've got to stop blaming other people for the issues that are emanating out of our own sin. I like to call these blind spots, right? Just like when you're, you're driving down the road. Uh, and you're, you're learning how to drive for the very first time. One of the most important things they teach you in driver's education is that you have blind spots, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You can see everything in front of you. And with a rear view mirror, you can see a little bit behind you. And with a side view mirror, you can see a little bit more. But the fact of the matter is until you turn your head, you can't see into that blind spot area that's behind us on our left or our right. Mm. And everybody else can see that blind spot area, right? Everybody yeah. else can see your guys' blind spots, except sometimes you can't see your own. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And sometimes we need people to speak into those blind spots or dark areas. And then what we should do in that moment is not retract to blaming somebody else for it, but say, hmm, maybe you see something in me or my life that I can't see Maybe I should pay attention to it. I got to tell you, the most revolutionary words in my marriage, don't miss this, the most revolutionary words in my married life were these words, you may be right. Those four words, 
were some of the most powerful words. I, I could hear you snickering, Dale. Over there. Well, the, re- the, reason, the reason why is I had a guy tell me those, hey, the best way to overcome a fight in your marriage is to say, you may be right, honey. The problem was he said it in front of my brand new bride. <laughs> so talk us through those words, Vince. Talk us through those words. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great, I, I, I love it because it's almost laughable. You know, I, I remember I was in an argument with my wife and she was engaging in a character assassination of me. Okay. So I, I'm a suppressor. She's an expressor. I, I flight, she fights. Okay. That's us. Right. Yeah. And I got to tell you, she, uh, she was fighting with me. And I was listening, and I could t- I could tell that I was going to my secret place. <laughs> and, and in that moment, she was making this character assassination, and it wasn't fair. I, I just want to say it wasn't fair. It absolutely wasn't fair what she was doing. We were seven years into our marriage, and I looked up at her, and I said those four words, you may be right. Notice I didn't say, you are right. Yeah. <laughs> That's completely different. Yeah. I said, you may be right, and she turned white as a ghost. And suddenly she realized for the very first time in an argument that I was genuinely listening to her. And I want you to know that those four words changed my marriage. Because you know what happened in that moment? I went from arguing and blaming her for my own issues to accepting blame in a spot that she could see something that I couldn't see. And she challenged me. And it changed our marriage forever. We've been married 21 years. i got to tell you that moment about seven years in, was pivotal for us. Our marriage has never been on the rocks, but I got to tell you, it changed the way that we interact with each other, how we talk to each other. And that's what I'm talking about conviction is right there is where the battle is fought for most men. Are we going to blame or are we going to own it? Don't you love that situation in uh, David, David's life where he's confronted by Nathan and uh-huh. Nathan shows up on the scene, the prophet, right? And he's going to confront David about his sin with Bathsheba, right? And uh, Nathan comes in with this made-up story, right? It's a story about a cat, actually. It's a sheep in their day, but I, I call it a cat. So, so <laughs> oh, now I'm really <laughs> relating. Now I'm really relating. Yeah, now relating. you got it, right? <laughs> so Nathan walks in, makes up the story, and he says, hey, there was a man who had a cat. It was a sheep, but it's a cat. And he says he had a cat, and he treats it like a pet. And there's this other rich guy who has a friend come by, Right? And he needs a sheep. It's really a cat. He needs a sheep for his party. But he goes to the poor man, takes his pet cat, kills it, cooks it, and eats it at oh, his I'm, feast. Oh, I'm really relating now. Yeah, you got it now. because And, and this guy <laughs> loved this cat, right? He loved this cat, but this rich guy went and took it. And then David gets furious in this moment, right? Do you remember that moment? He gets oh, furious. Yeah. and He gets angry because we always get angry about our own sin first, right? Mm. It's when we see our sin in somebody else's life, we get really angry about it, right? Well, oh, David gets true. really angry. And then Nathan looks at him and he says, well, if you're angry about that, I got something to tell you. You are the man. And instead of David blaming somebody else for the sin with Bathsheba, David gets on his knees before God and accepts it. And I believe that that's the greatest battle that David ever fought. And there's a humility the in that. There's a hu- there's there a humility is. in that. There's a humility in saying to your wife, sincerely, mm-hmm. you may be yeah. right. And here's here's the thing I got from your book, and I think that story was in your book, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but here's uh-huh. another thing that was in your book that's really interesting. There's a humility in accepting the blame 
But when pride creeps in, all sorts of problems begin to flare up. And you address pride pride explicitly in your book uh, in regards mm-hmm. to men being men of a conviction. Can you walk us through uh, what pride offers to a man of conviction? Oh, man. You know, there, there, there's a, there is difference between kind of that arrogant pride where we sit on the throne of our own life. And there is a complete difference between that and the pride that we find in the life and the humility of Jesus Christ. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I got to tell you, I live every day so proud that Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin, rescued me into redemption, has forgiven me, extended grace to me, loves me, has shown me mercy. And I'm deeply proud of that. And I, I believe that men are looking for pride. It's just, unfortunately, we, we find ourselves as the object of our own pride rather Ooh. than what God has done for us. And it's okay to be proud, but that proud has to be faced toward the right object. I am proud of my Lord and Savior. And mm. because I, I'm proud of him, it changes who I am. I, I love Paul in, in, the, in, in every one of his letters. I love how he addresses the crowd and I think the way that he addresses the crowd is really interesting because I think what it does is it subtly plays down his own arrogance and plays up his pride in Christ, right? Mm. Here's how he starts most of his letters. Paul, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to hear pride in that statement, but I also want you to hear the utter end of human arrogant pride in that. I believe that that was the way that he taught himself to not make it ever about him, because Paul had every right to be very proud in all of his human genetics, in his education, Mm -hmm. in his money, in his career, in his politicking. I mean, Paul had everything. He had every reason to be arrogant in a worldly sense. But I believe by naming himself through the identity of servant and slave of Christ, he downplays human pride, elevates pride and focus on Jesus Christ and his Lord and Savior. And I I think that's what men are searching for. They're searching for something higher and more nobler to be proud of. And it's not us. It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. And I I think men fight a battle there every day, man, every single day. Well, I think the other battle they're fighting is this battle about against repetitive sin. You called it repetitive sin in your book. And I love that phrase. And in the book, you talked about Pride uh, expressed inwardly is a great hindrance in us in our battle against sin. How does pride hurt a man who's trying to overcome? Let's just pick on me, for example. Yeah, uh, my yeah, big yeah. sin in my life, I would say, is is gluttony. Right. Uh, my, you know, I, I, you know, I thought I was big boned. I just realized I was fat. You know, type of thing. And so, <laughs> you know, my mom called me husky. But let's be honest. And so, in my battle against gluttony or let's call that my repetitive sin, right? Because I have to eat every day. Right. How would you say pride hurts me there? Yeah, that's that's really good. I, you know, and, and you know, my repetitive sin is anxiety. That's mine. Ooh. And uh, it, it trips me up all the time. And so, you know, I think pride trips us up in these these situations, especially with repetitive cycles of sin. I've written a a a series of five lessons for small groups of men on this particular topic because it's so hard to really understand. But I believe God wants us to battle hard against sin, especially repetitive cycles of sin. Yes. 
And it's not that we can beat sin, but we can beat the cycle. We can actually rewire ourselves to, to, to move into a more effective battle plans with sin. And I, I think that pride is really the inception of the sin. It's, it's giving in to our earthly desires. That's where pride is born. It's just saying, I can do it on my own. I can do it without the Spirit's help. I, I, I can do it without God and thinking that we can do whatever we want, or we spin it so far as to think that we can just handle every problem on our own, which, by the way, is most men. Most men live in autonomy, yes. yep. antonymity, uh, alone, away from other men, and unfortunately, that kind of arrogance is exactly what leads us down the path of gluttony and anxiety and whatever it is, pornography, yeah. whatever yep. it is for you, if you want to understand what what trips us up and leads to repetitive cycles of sin, it's a guy who thinks he can proudly do it all on his own without the help of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and without another brother in his life. If you think that, you are wrong. I mean, we have to tell ourselves that. You cannot go this life alone. You need to link arms with another brother who's going to walk life with you and help you, not only with your weak spots, help you to leverage the things that you do well, right? And to uh, walk with you in the journey of life. So you talk about in your book, significantly, uh, you, you talk about accountability. So let's just pick on me, for example, because I've got two guys that uh, I would say are accountability guys in my life here in this room. When it comes to eating, just we're picking on me right now, or we'll just right. call it a counseling session. Uh, when, right. when it comes to eating, for you it'd be anxiety, uh, how should these accountability guys, these guys who have locked arms, how should they respond to my issue of food or your issue of anxiety, right? Uh, or, or Dale's a desire to be a supermodel. How would they, how would, uh, <laughs> how should they interact with me? What does accountability look like? Because I think yeah. accountability has got a bad rap and I'm a big fan of accountability. If certain things yeah. play out, can you walk us through that there, Vince? Yeah, no, I here here's some good stuff for the guys. And you know, if your guys are listening right now and they got a piece of paper, by their side, this would probably be good. I, I think the first step is this. You have to make a decision. You have to decide that you're no longer going to allow sin to win, to beat you up in a repetitive way. You have to make a conscious decision. I think guys forget this first step because we just kind of sleep with our sins. You know, yeah. we kind of sleep with our sins, but we have to make a conscious decision. The second thing... Can I interrupt real quick, to, Vince? Vince? Yeah, I, go I, for it. I hate yep. to do this, but but in your book, you talk about an ad, making an advanced decision. Is this the same decision yep. that you're talking about, or is this different? This is different. This okay. is actually... Yeah, this is very different, because okay. I think that guys got to make a choice, and I, I appreciate that, because we're going to get to that, but I, I think that guys got to make that that first conscious decision to like do something. I, I think this is where apathy sets in. You okay. know, I, like we feel convicted, but we don't do anything about it. I be, it begins with the decision. I think the second thing then we got to do is we got to identify the trigger and reward. So let's say, for example, your, your issue is gluttony and you're sitting on the couch today. So we're going to talk about you and I'm going to make some things up about you that probably aren't true. But, you know, let's say, let's say that you, Jim, you, you sat in front of a nice, meaty steak some nice starchy potatoes you know maybe some asparagus on the side you look down at your that sounds like your favorite meal 
That sounds yeah. like your yeah, favorite yeah. meal in your book. Yeah. <laughs> it probably is my favorite meal, but you're looking down at your steak, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's peppercorn crusted. It's got a pat of butter on the top of it. It's dripping. You're salivating, right? I can show you the page in your book where you talk about that. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's yeah. in your book. Okay, keep going. But that's, that's in my book too. I'd, I'd put a lobster in there too. <laughs> oh, I threw a lobster on top of it. There you go. Okay, it. now I'm drooling. So now, now you're drooling. Okay, so this whole thing is all buttery, ready to go. Oh, and you're, so you're drooling, hurting me right now. Right? You're hurting so me. Now I'm speaking your love language, right? Yeah, now, you are. You, you, you've discovered a, a part of what the problem is, is that you've just put yourself, if you're gluttonous and you put yourself in front of that meal, well, of course you're going to eat the meal. Right. Like, come on. Like, if you continue to put yourself in front of that for breakfast, lunch and dinner, you're going to eat it. It's what's going to do. It's called identifying a trigger and a reward. The trigger is the meal or a certain type of meal or a certain moment or certain experience in that moment or certain behavior patterns. And the reward is eating. It's like feeling full. It gives you some joy or something like that or or it resolves some anxiety you have in life or or maybe it's just a, a pattern to overeat. Who knows what it is? But you got to identify the trigger and reward. The next thing that I tell guys to do is what you've already mentioned: is next time that moment happens, you got to make it a, an advanced decision about what you're going to do when that trigger and reward strikes. So, in other words, next time you're going out to eat with somebody, you have to decide in advance what you're going to do. Are you going to order the steak and lobster, right? Or are you going to order the salad? Well, your advanced decision would be, well, I'm going to order the salad or I'm going to order a different type of portion. You writing this down? Well, yeah, no, right. I, I've got it memorized from the book. Because so, I thought when I go to a restaurant, I don't even open the menu. I just got to say I'm getting a Cobb salad. There you go. Here, to, Don't even look at the menu because those French fries with ranch dressing are looking pretty dang good right now. I did this the other night when I went to a restaurant. Now I don't struggle with gluttony that much, but I'm you know watching my weight. I'm working out. I'm eating, etc. And I just said, I know I'm going to get this meal. So I only looked at one thing, and I didn't look at anything that was fried on the menu. A lot of really good looking fried things. How do you do that? So I got myself a salad, <laughs> a cob salad, just like you're talking about. Oh yeah. And then, but I think you need to show that in the fourth step is you got to show that trigger, that old trigger of better reward. So here's, here's how it looks like, uh, with like something like pornography, for example. So, you know, a lot of guys struggle with pornography. So I would say to them, look, okay, uh, you need to decide that you're no longer going to allow pornography to win in your life. What's the trigger? Well, the trigger is I'm lonely for somebody out there. It is. And the reward is the pornography plus a lot of other behaviors that go with pornography. Right. And then we say, well, if the trigger is loneliness, well, I'm going to make an advanced decision the next time I'm lonely. The next time I'm lonely, I'm going to call Bud or I'm going to go to a public place or I'm going to do – that's my advanced decision. Yeah. Now, in that moment, we can't leave that desire unmet. If we're lonely, we have to feed it a better reward. Ooh, and the reward good. has to be something very, very powerful and new. It can't be like the old reward, right? Because yeah. pornography has a negative reward. We, we – you know, we don't really call it a reward all the time. It's kind of punishment, but it's a reward. But we got to feed it a new reward. And if you can trigger, when that trigger strikes, if you can give it something new, it will decouple from that old behavior and attach itself to a new pattern. And it's very, very powerful. And I've done this in my life with many sins. And I got to tell you, it helps to unwire the mind and lead it towards something greater. Man, and this, is we defeat repetitive sins. 
That is so good. Well, hey, we're coming up at the end of our podcast, Vince, but I want to leave with a quote from Scripture that I did not realize how hard and how close to home this hit for you personally. And now I'm guessing here, but you mentioned it twice in your book. And by the way, guys, if you have not picked up his book, Convictions, it's a great man book. It's only a 107 pages. It's got a lot of, uh, it's got a, 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 a large font, easy to read, and it's You're got about a lot to of say great a lot of pictures. In, no, there's, You're going to co- say it's got a lot of pictures. No, I don't like pictures in books. I can't oh, explain. Okay. I hate charts and graphs. That was a part of your book <laughs> I didn't even look at because I like to read the words. But love this yeah. book, guys. Go pick it up. Vince Miller's uh, uh, book here. And uh, they can get that at the Resolute webpage, right? It's not on Amazon. Yeah, it's not on Amazon. And we'll give it out free. All you guys got to do is pay for the shipping from your podcast if they use the coupon code Vince Free. I'll give it free to every one of your listeners. Man, that's that's awesome, Vince. Thank you so much for that. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to leave with this quote from Ezekiel 22:30, and I want you to walk us through the depth of this passage in your life. Here it is. Yeah. And I sought for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the breach before me and the land, and I should not that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Mm. Wow. Talk us about the depth of that passage in your life. Well, I think, I got to tell you, I I think that God throughout the Bible has been looking for a man. He's been looking for one. Mm. And in that text, of course, that's God speaking, right? In that text, I think God is not talking down to men He's not painting a bleak picture. I actually believe that he's giving us a challenge to accept. Because in those verses, I know that God is describing the man that he wants. And the man that he wants is described, I believe, in qualities in that single verse. He's looking for a man of action who will do something. He's willing to do it alone if he has to, all by himself. He has well-ordered priorities And he's all in at the poker table of life. God has always been looking for that dude. And throughout the Bible and throughout the history, we see small glimpses of these men. We see Noah and Moses. We see Aaron and Nathan. We see David and Solomon. And every one of them had successes and failures, right? Mm, Yep. And God was always looking for a single man. Well, here's the greatest part to the greatest story ever ever told, is that God was always looking for one. Because he couldn't find one, he self-provided. He provided the one. And in Jesus Christ, we see the ultimate man. All we got to do is live like him. And remember what I said? That man and our failed identity did nothing and said nothing? Well, Jesus did everything else that we didn't do. He came doing and saying certain things to show us what it meant to be a man of God. And all the guys out there need to hear this. Ezekiel 22.30 is just a prophetic statement about the life of Jesus Christ who is going to come, and that in him is life and godliness. And through his life, we can see a model of manhood that just obliterates how we understand man today. And I would encourage guys to chase hard after Jesus Christ. Man, that is so good, Vince. Hey, man, 
Thank you so much for taking the time to share, for offering your book, Convictions, free of charge yeah. to our men in the arena. Man, we're we're just really blessed to have you on here. My guys, Dale and Pat, are just going, he raised the level, baby. He raised the level. <laughs> so, hey, man, we, we, uh, we're we having a John Eldridge on uh, our next uh, interview. So he's got a... He's got the bar is set high, my brother. So, hey, man, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Remember, it's no Neil November. So if you're a vet, just go to our Contact Us section on our app or our website, and we will send you a free book download. If you want to read the hard copy, uh, send us $10 with your address. We'll mail that out to you, and I might even sign it for you because I'm so proud. (laughs) Hey, guys, helping us transform the lives of men is as simple as one, two, three. Listen and subscribe to our podcast, too. Share it with your friends. Three, write a positive review. Give us your input about topics or guys you'd like to hear from. I think we'll have Vince on again. I thought that was unreal. He's got a lot to say and a lot to offer to men today, so we're excited. We want you to become the best version of you, so guys, continue to contact us. Reach out. You've been listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. Get in the arena, guys. Get dirty. Grind it out. At the end of the day, be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of a man, then purchase your own copy of the Field Guide, our bathroom book for men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your copy for you and your friends on our website at thegreathuntforgod.com. You will also find our five-book man card series. Grab several copies, recruit some friends, and champion the cause for men today. We are a donor-supported, non-profit organization with the mission to transform the lives of men and those they love. If today's podcast has inspired you, consider being a financial champion by going to The Great Hunt for God and click the Give link in the menu drop-down. Also, download the Great Hunt for God app today. It is available in all the app stores for all devices. It has videos, podcasts, our store, and many other links to the world of the Great Hunt for God. Thank you for listening, and good hunting. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.